Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 17 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we're ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every minister has. Unless you're a new listener, you know that Alob is one person <laughs> we right. are grateful to for the <laughs> intro music. So That's right. Um, thanks, Matt, we just Yeah, thanks, Alob. We just got back from a concert, a concert, a conference. It was the Dallas Ministry <laughs> Conference, and uh, man, it was it was really good. There was a lot of hunger I saw in regards to the hurts, hopes, and hungers of every minister. Like there was a lot of hunger uh, that different people had. I saw some people come to the conference, and it looked like they were trying to like save their ministry. You know, like a yeah. a, a married yeah. couple's retreat. I'm trying to save my marriage. It looked like they were trying to save their ministry. And um, what was the greatest need that you saw at the conference? You know, like the the weird thing is, and that this isn't what you were, I think you were going for, but um, one of the things that I always see in these conferences, or I, I, I don't know, I'm starting to see more and more is people understanding that the program isn't the answer. The program isn't the response, but I've, I still see people coming to these conferences wanting the silver bullet, you know, wanting the quick fix or the quick answer. So that's something that, that, that I see every time I go to a conference like this. The thing that I saw the most is people's need for confidence. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's almost the same thing because when someone wants to hide behind a program to say, okay, this program is what's going to make the difference, the meaningful impact, it's almost like a crutch or a way to hide. Do you, do you see what I'm saying with it? They just needed to know that they are called, that they are loved, and that they are worthy to share the gospel message. They don't necessarily have to have the latest and greatest. All they need is a relationship with someone who wants to know Jesus more or that, yeah. you yeah. know, needs to know Jesus more and they can, they can share that. And so I saw a lot of, I don't want to say insecurity because I think that's the wrong word because they were there because they were confident in their calling that God had for them. Yeah. Um, but, it, but it almost seemed like they needed, they just needed that nudge. Yeah. You know, and I, I mean, you, you and I both know that there's, I guess there's multiple, there's a scale here. You know, there are people that are there that just need that nudge, just need the confidence. And there are people that are there that even though they don't know they do this, they hide behind a program. And I know that I did this when I was first in youth ministry. I had no idea what I was doing, really. Like I had zero training, zero formation, nothing. And in a way, I hid behind Life Team because it was an easy thing to do. It was an easy program in a way to just kind of put together and my team were the rock stars. You know, the people that were around me were the ones who were able to take that and make it our own. But I, you know, in a way was hiding behind that program. So I think, you know, yes, there are absolutely those that are there that are just looking for that nudge or just need that confidence. But then there are those that, that may be hiding behind something or hiding behind a program. Yeah, so I agree. In fact, in the 90s, it was very popular and into the 2000s as well to go ahead and name your program Life Teen, like uh, St. Francis Life Teen, you know, instead of calling it youth ministry or or whatever it is. And when I landed at my first parish, uh, I love Life Teen. Uh, Their resources are excellent. Turnkey with some adaptation, and you can have a very dynamic program. But I didn't want to name my program Life Teen. I wanted to name it after the community that it was serving or the community that was making it or executing it. I've never had a Life Teen program, even though I've used Life Teen materials in my program. Yep. Yeah. 
and I think that that that's kind of a point. I don't want it to hide behind a brand. The gospel can't necessarily be branded, although there are a lot of programs that effectively share it, that better yeah. showcase it, and things of that nature. And I don't mean to I don't mean to say this or to bring it up to make anyone feel guilty or to like cause anyone to feel shame. Um, I bring it up because very often it's that lack of confidence or the lack of experience or whatever that uh, takes us causes us to take kind of the comfortable route, causes us to choose a program over uh, diving a little bit deeper into that relationship with Jesus that's really going to make the difference. Right. And I've helped develop programs, and it's really more the process that the program showcases and the program itself that creates the bandwidth for the successful transmission of the gospel. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. So at the conference, you mentioned that uh, programming is not the answer. Now, we were at a parent session together. Um, We were leading the parent session. And one of the things you mentioned is programming is not the solution or the answer. Uh, what's, What's the question when we talk about programming not being the answer? So what I would consider the question, you know, a lot of people were walking into that session wanting ideas, wanting answers to to the question of how do we reach parents beyond the pew? Because that, that was the name of that whole session, was reaching parents beyond the pew. And they wanted to know how to do that. And so my response to that was that it's, it's not a program that's going to do that. It's going to be relationships that do that. The number one relationship being our relationship with Jesus and sharing that relationship with other people through a relationship with them. Because unless we have a relationship with them, we, we are not going to be able to effectively share the gospel with them. Yeah, amen to that. And so really, you could throw a program or a book at someone, and there's some great books out there, but a book is not going to change someone's heart. A program is not going to change someone's heart. And if you hand a book to someone, probably you handing it to them and journeying with them is going to make the bigger difference, the bigger impact uh, than the content of the book, processing it with them. But program needs to be a context for conversion, not the vehicle, not the sole vehicle of conversion. Absolutely. That, I mean, and the context for that, but then also not really the context for the relationship because that doesn't, that doesn't sound right. But like the, the relationship in a way to build a relationship, you need something to do. And maybe the program is just what you do together to build the relationship with them. Yeah, I would agree. And the reason why I would agree is because I've seen conversion happen in people on mission trips, on retreats, and at uh, religious education nights or faith formation sessions. And so it's not necessarily the vehicle that's the turnkey solution, but rather the shared experience to where there's vulnerability and life being shared that ultimately leads to an openness. And that openness makes space for Christ. And then the conversion can take place, you know? So if it was just mission trips were the only way to convert, that's all we would do. If just saying a certain prayer was the way that we would convert or get saved, that would be all we would do. But the thing is, is there's a variety of ways to reach people, which is why I believe that every ministry should have a variety of programming in order to reach people in different ways. And programming, again, becomes the context to reach those people, not not the vehicle of conversion. Yeah, and so when you say varieties of programming, what would you what do you mean? So, uh, for example, some programming needs to be kind of the on ramp ministry of hospitality. Maybe it's a, a a dad's ministry where they go ahead and they watch football together. I think that's uh-huh. great. You know what I mean? Sure. There's a, there's a group that meets uh, a little bit deeper for fathers that talks about people that uh, struggle with uh, pornography. 
Do, do you see what I'm saying? And then there's yeah, a absolutely. men's group. Uh, there's also the Knights of Columbus, which is a men's group, a men's ministry that uh, is more service oriented. And so yeah. there's different ways. If you're at a certain parish or in a certain community, depending on where you're at, you might be the, the one that, uh, that just wants to have a beer and watch the football game. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, <laughs> and then you could join the Knights of Columbus, you know, cause they're always, uh, <laughs> after their meetings, oftentimes they have a cooler of a beer and they have fellowship. That's good. That cooler, uh, changes lives, you know, but, uh, I guess that's what I'm saying is there needs to be different ways because people are coming from different places and really people are different. Some people have more of a charism of service. Other people have a charism of a kind of intellectual formation or wanting to learn a little bit more. You need to have on-ramps for both of those type of people. Yeah, and, and I, as you were talking, I was even thinking of different different styles of prayer as well. You know, you could, and I don't know how, well, I mean, I think every parish has enough people that, that if you find the people that are interested in the different types of prayer you can you can do it realistically but if if the mass now i don't want to be whatever i'm not going to excuse myself if the mass is the only form of prayer the only form of worship that your parish does together as a community i i don't want to say there's something lacking because that's not true but there there is you're, you're missing people and you're not feeding, you know, people ah, that that all sounds messed up, Chris. I mean, I, you know what I'm trying to say. No, I, can't, I, I, I let can't me take say a stab. In let me take a stab because go for it. <laughs> yeah. At, 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 at mass, at mass, we're sent forth and all other prayer needs to flow from the mass. But if no prayer is flowing from the mass, then there is something lacking in that community because there should be other types of prayer that exist outside of the liturgy. Now they should have their source and summit in the liturgy. But if the liturgy is the only thing and it doesn't go beyond, thank you. Then there's a good job, yeah. Chris. Thank you, Matt. Yes. Teamwork. So, <laughs> so what was your point with that? I, I got so excited about the topic, you know, what was your point with it? <laughs> My point with that was that, uh, I, like as our prayer flows from the mass, it needs to take on different types or various types of identities. You you may have praise and worship groups like that come together to to sing and to praise God that way. You may have silent prayer and adoration. You may have liturgy of the hours. You may have all different types of prayer flowing from the mass. But you need a variety in order to reach people where they are. Good, yeah. And I think about Steve Covey's The Five Love Languages. And those love languages yep. could include the way that we encounter or seek out God's love. Yeah. So, um, okay. So if programming is not the answer, but rather it's a means or it's a vehicle, we mentioned a couple of ways, but where can programming get in the way? Like in what ways can programming be a hindrance? I think if we, if we are so married to a program and the way that the program is designed to be run, that we don't allow for anything to change or anything to deviate from that, we we stifle the movement of the Holy Spirit. We stifle the way that God's moving in those ministries or, or in that session, you know, if you will. If if I have to say all of the words on this piece of paper exactly for me to consider this program or this event this night a success, then I would say that that's become too much of a crutch and it's stifling the movement of the Holy Spirit. I agree. And the flip side is I actually sat down with uh, a group of, uh, of, of parents who are in uh, a special needs ministry. Like how do we get our kids with special needs sacraments and, and kind of navigate that area? And if 
the programs were the only way, and there's certain people that don't fit those the, the paradigm of the program, then there's certain people that will not get served. So the the programs can't be so rigid. And so it's it's kind of the other yep. side of the coin of what you just shared is not just in regards to the presentations and things like that, but even the, even the pathways need to be flexible and, and, and adaptable. So we recently had a uh, a series at our at our youth program on Wednesday nights, kind of a going deeper series. And uh, the pastor asked me, "Hey, make sure that one doesn't build on the other, because on Wednesday nights there's a lot of teens that have different activities. So if they miss the first one, I want them to feel like they can come to the second one, even if they didn't hit the first one." And so it took us some intentional kind of dividing the things so each one could be standalone. And they would also build on each other, mm-hmm. you know, and so we got to look at programming from that point of view, yep. too. Yeah. So it could build on each other, but it, it doesn't. They also to. stood alone. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. 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 I see it. I see a danger in programming also in regards to sometimes it limits the gifts that are being shared. And so a person who might otherwise present dynamically feels like they're limited to the talking points that were given them and they actually have a different approach mm-hmm. to to the topic and that approach might be based upon their experience with the people in the program like um whatever program you're using they don't know jessica who's in your program they don't know that becky just went through a divorce like you know that and you're the leader of the program so you have to make sure that you adapt the program or set it aside for a night to be able to minister to the needs of those people in front of you if there was a a situation where a student at a school died and your your topic is not not in line with something like that then you pause the programming in order to meet the pastoral have a pastoral response and so i think that's sometimes a danger too because as a type a person if we get more than three minutes off of our schedule on a youth night i start turning gray i start freaking out you know um so we need to make sure that we have that uh flexibility in in our programming to meet the needs that sit right before us instead of just okay we're going to get through 26 sessions muscle through them all let's go Absolutely. And as you were talking, you know, I, if you don't know what's going on in the lives of the people that you're serving, then that's when the program has become the, the end all be all. If you don't know the people's names, if you don't know what's going on in their life, there's no way you're going to know everyone's name, but you need to know, you know, at least seven people's names at a minimum. And you need to know what's going on in those people's lives. And the rest of the volunteers that are there with you to serve them are going to know everybody else. And they're going to know so, what's going on in the lives of those I, the people you're I'm serving. I'm laughing at you because of the way that it came out. Like, you're like, at least seven people's names. Like, why seven? Is it? I mean, are, why not six? <laughs> why not eight? You, At least seven. So if I have a youth program that only has five kids in it, I'm busted because I don't know seven names. Like, break it down. Break down the number seven. I know it's biblical, Matt. And you're just teaching me. Uh, yeah, I don't know if there's any reason seven, but I, I always think about the, the, the perfect size of a, a small group is what, eight to 10 at the absolute most. Um, sure. And so I, I think a small group should be closer to six or seven people. And so that's why I said that, because if you have a small group, you know the, the small group members' names. Copy that. Okay, good. But yeah, my brain just went straight to seven because I, I like that number. I don't know. <laughs> okay, good. So seven, seven is the experts say that the all all the two out of two podcasters on this podcast agree that seven is the minimum, the bare minimum of a number. 
to have a successful program. <laughs> of the number of names number of name. people you should know in your so, program. <laughs> so then let's shift it to, you know, programming can be a crutch. Programming can, can uh, stifle creativity. Uh, but programming can also be useful. So when is programming useful and how can we utilize it effectively? Hey, is this an interview? This is not an interview. So I, I'd like to go ahead and... and, and why don't you take a stab? You know, at this ladies one? and gentlemen, when we began the pro- <laughs> podcast, Matt said, "Why don't you take the lead on this one?" So I guess uh, he's just holding up a mirror so that I can continue to take the lead. So just the seven names that you mentioned, <laughs> like programming, is a context to learn those names and to put some some context to those names. So I don't know about Jimmy's passions until I sit down in small group and ask him, "Hey guys, as we're getting started tonight, before we begin, what's something that you're interested in? What's something you're excited?" In? What's your after-school activity? Whatever it is. And then all of a sudden we get to learn these people. So programming, like I said, provides context for uh, ministry or evangelization to take place. Programming also, unfortunately, is where we can encounter consumer Catholicism, right? So people who are just there to receive sacraments, they want to check the boxes so that they can feel like they're progressing towards the sacrament. That's not always meaning that they're progressing towards Jesus. It's not always meaning that they don't want to also progress towards Jesus. But a lot of them check the boxes, and programming gives us boxes for them to check. And then in those moments where they have to be there for attendance or whatever it is for sacramental prep, we have an opportunity, such a sweet and beautiful opportunity, um, to be able to share God's love with them on a deeper level. All right. So you just asked, you know, why is when can programming be good? And I think we you went back on a tangent of uh, like a negative of programming, but maybe maybe I missed the boat on that one. But there was something that as you were talking that I thought about um, when programming can be good, and it's when we know that we need to stretch ourselves. Ooh. So let's say that I really want to talk to the kids about theology of the body. I haven't done extensive research myself on it, but you know I'm going to grab a book anyway and I'm going to start reading it. But I, I, I want the kids to get the content now. I've approved it with my pastor, yada, yada, yada. We're going to go through the Theology of the Body for Teens program with these kids. So it's a chance for me to, to dive into a topic that I may not be an expert in, but the people that made the resource are. And so we can at least address the topic and anything that I don't know that I, that I need help with, I'm going to look to other resources to, to get better at. But it, it, it takes away some of the fear in addressing certain topics, whatever it is. I love it. That is a great point. Yeah, programming can, what's the word, amplify our skill set into areas we might not be as um, proficient. Yeah, absolutely. And, and some of it, I mean, it may be Bible. It may be the catechism. It may be theology of the body. I mean, it could really be, I mean, <laughs> that's one of the reasons why I like Life Teen is, is for a, a brand new youth minister or you know, or someone, anyway, like it, it's, it decreases the barriers in for ministry for those of us who have a little anxiety about that. <laughs> Chris, what's I'm laughing. Going on? Are you having a stroke? Are you okay, Matt? <laughs> You're tiptoeing around it because you don't want to offend anyone from Life Teen. Just to clarify, we love Life Teen. We love the resources. In fact, I applaud anyone who dares to make programming because that requires a lot of vulnerability. And I know a lot of people pray that their resource will be used as an instrument in the hands of catechists and the hands of God um, to go ahead and bring people closer to Christ. No, no, no program I, claims it's, to be perfect. It's crazy. I'm not, I'm not tiptoeing around it, you know, because I'm afraid of offending people at Life Teen. 
because they're big boys. They can handle themselves. I, I, what I don't want to do is I don't want to shame the, the ministry leader or, or the, the youth minister who is using that. Does that yeah. make sense? I, I want them, I want them to know that it's perfectly fine to, to use a resource. But like you said, it's not the end all be all. And, and I would dare to say um, that it's necessary to use programming or resources to help ourselves be successful because we do not know everything. Your theology, the body example was so sound. And I think that that's important for us to recognize that even if we need to use something doesn't necessarily mean that we lose the relational context, right? In fact, it might enhance it because they see either the, the kids in your program, the adults in your program, whatever it is, they see you taking that extra effort. They're honored by it because they find themselves more worthy of love. And then they build trust with you, which can lead to that deeper conversation when you're sharing the gospel. Yeah. And like, I wonder if on the flip side of all this, that it like experienced ministers wherever wherever they are RCIA DRE whatever if they're <laughs> if they could ever get to the point that they are above programs i don't need a program i know what i'm doing i've got this degree that degree and 10 years experience i don't need a program when actually they do and it would be better for them to use a program because of the the whole structure, the sequence and scope of why it's done the way it's done. And, and they may not see that. Or there may be something else that is, is much better about using the program than not. But we allow our arrogance yes. to keep us from doing that because, you know, oh, I'm so good. Yes, but if they, if they use the program and they don't also have lunch with one of their seven, you know what I mean? If they don't also go beyond, <laughs> yep. then all of a sudden... The program is only as as good as the, the the person holding the book, the person researching, you know, u- utilizing it to share the gospel. And I've seen I've seen ministry succeed in a ton of different contexts using a variety of programs because there were successful ministers, disciples behind it that were moving it forward. That's why I haven't seen yet a turnkey solution to go ahead and solve every need. But I've seen a variety of programming that can cover the majority of the needs that exist out there. And that's the neat thing about programming is you also don't have to be locked into one program. You might have a a Sunday night program that uses something different than your Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, your, your men's ministry, whatever it is. And so I would, I would go back to that as programming is useful in the sense that it meets the needs of those who you're seeking to serve. Once it stops, don't be afraid to, to experiment. Like the people we serve, they're worth us taking risks. They're worth us researching other options so that we can go ahead and, and bring God's love to them more effectively. That being said, don't just experiment for the sake of experimenting. No one wants to be a guinea pig, but everyone wants to be honored with some research, you know. Yeah, I feel like this is this is a really good topic, but I, I like I think we caught ourselves multiple times throughout this whole episode not kind of dancing around it, you know, that programming is good, but it's, it's got issues. And I don't know that this, this may just be one of those tensions that every ministry leader has throughout their entire career. I mean, you and I've been doing this for 17 years and we still use programming periodically. And there's a, there's a balance there. And and maybe that's just this whole tiptoeing around all of this throughout this whole episode is is exactly what it's like, you know, using programming in your ministry and, you know, trying to find that balance of, you know, when is it good? When should I not use it? Am I using too much? All yeah, that and stuff. I, I've utilized programming in the same way that uh, Frankenstein was built. You know, I've taken pieces of this and pieces of that 
and created something that better meets the needs of the teens that I serve. And so use use what works and, and don't waste your time on stuff that doesn't. But don't be afraid to test things out. And, and a variety of programming can help you test a variety of things out. But yeah, there is a tension. I think if there's a minister out there that doesn't recognize or try to navigate that tension, um, they really should. They should kind of pull their head up from it a little bit and say, okay, let's look around and see, is this programming accomplishing what I desire, what the pastor that desires to be accomplished? Or is it simply I'm executing a program that's missing the mark just a little to the left or a little to the right, whatever it is. Yeah, and NMI is executing it just because the parish down the street is executing it or because I feel like it's what's best for the, the community that I'm serving. Yeah, and that's, that, that's, a, that's another episode altogether, you know. So yep. we want to hear from you guys in regards to programming. How do you guys navigate some of the tensions that we shared regarding programming? And what's the best uh, the best way that you've like onboarded new programming? That's a challenge, you know, because you got to sell sell the idea or even put to bed old programming. If you inherited a program when you came into a new position or something like that, how do you go ahead and make those transitions in and out of programming? Because remember, it's not programming that makes the difference. It's Jesus Christ in their lives that makes the difference. But sometimes I've seen people really hurt when a certain program is changed or removed altogether. So we want to hear from you guys. Absolutely. Post your questions and your info on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash MLA podcast. Tweet at us on twitter.com slash MLA podcast and all the other stuff. Our website, mlapodcast.com, email mla at ablazeyouth.org. Write us uh, a review wherever you listen to the podcast. And uh, here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. All right, take some time to pray for other ministry leaders and pray for those who develop programming as well. We will see you next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless you.